If you have found your place in God's word this morning, we're going to stand for just a moment as we honor the reading of his holy word. So please stand with me. The scriptures say, John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, And the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him whoever believes in him is not condemned But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we beg you to speak now through your word We beg you to humble our hearts. We beg you to free us from distraction. We beg you to pour your spirit out in this place. 
so that each and every one of us may be moved, so that each and every one of us may be affected this morning by the truth of your grace and your love and Christ's sacrifice and the empty tomb. And we pray because we can only come to you in the name of the risen Christ. And so we do now. Amen. May be seated. You may ask, why in the world are you preaching from John chapter 3 on Easter? There wasn't even anything in that passage about the resurrection. Why would you choose this text on this morning? Why this passage on this morning? Why this truth? Why these verses? On this morning, well, I'll tell you a couple of reasons. One is because I think to some degree, every pastor, especially in America, on Easter Sunday, owes just a little bit to the life and the legacy of Billy Graham. And what other text... What greater text to preach to honor the life and legacy of the late evangelist Billy Graham who preached to more people than any other person has ever preached on the planet than to preach John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But also because John 3.16 is without a doubt the most familiar Bible verse that was ever written, that was ever recorded, that has ever been passed down to us. No matter what walk of life you come from this morning, no matter your gender, no matter your age, no matter your race, no matter your socioeconomic status, no matter your political affiliation, regardless of how you were raised, you are affiliated with John 3.16. He's a way of saying, Pastor, you don't know me. I've never even been to church. Well, you don't have to have heard John 3.16 in church. Like you, you could have watched the NFL on Sunday afternoons and seen the guys with the poster boards that say John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16. But still, just like so many other truths of the Christian faith. Do you really know it? Do you really know it? The basic context of this passage is that there is a man that has come to talk to Jesus and his name is Nicodemus. And he is a ruler, John 3 says, of the Jews. He is a Pharisee, verse 1 tells us. And this means that Nicodemus was one of very few people in the Jewish faith in the first century when Jesus was alive that was a part of a ruling sect known as the Sanhedrin. So he's at the top. He's elite. He's a religious leader. There's no one like him, or at least very few. He knows the law. He knows what we call the Old Testament. He knows it backwards and forwards probably had most of it memorized. 
He lived in accordance with the law, much like the apostle Paul would. Every jot and tittle, he knew very well. And yet he had been watching and hearing, just like all the other Jews around him, the popularity and celebrity status of this man named Jesus grow and grow and grow some more. And so John 3 tells us that Nicodemus has come to Jesus by night. There's been speculation for 2,000 years now why Nicodemus comes at night. Was Nicodemus afraid? Was Nicodemus concerned that someone was going to find out that he had come to ask Jesus some questions? That he's palling around with this guy that's causing such trouble and controversy? Perhaps. Perhaps it was because in those rabbinical days, the rabbis were known for studying late at night into the evening. Perhaps it was because they knew that late at night they could get alone by themselves and they could have extended, uninterrupted dialogue and conversation. We don't know why. The scriptures just say that Nicodemus comes and he comes by night to talk to Jesus. He begins asking questions. Now, I want to do something a little different this morning. This morning, I'm, I'm going to preach backwards. And so we're going to start at verse 18, and we're going to race our way backwards through this text all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. And I just want to hang out for you this morning some glorious truths and realities and questions and observations that we can pull from the most famous passage in the New Testament. We begin in verse 18, and the very first thing that we learned from this text is that Jesus is the one who is speaking these words to Nicodemus. And so when this passage ends, and it ends on a word of condemnation and warning... These aren't the words of 21st century pastors and evangelists that are trying to scare everybody into believing in Jesus. These are the red letter words of Jesus himself. And we learn from verse 18 this truth, that to not believe in Jesus is to bring condemnation upon yourself. Jesus says it very clearly. If you do not believe, then you not will be condemned one day. But Jesus says, if you do not believe, then you are condemned now. And so right away, we learn from this text that as we gather here this morning, the eternally significant truth for me and for you is that if you are not believing upon the name of the Lord Jesus today, then right now you stand condemned. Not by me, not by our pastoral staff, not by our people, not by First Baptist Church, but by the very red letter words of Jesus himself. To not believe is to bring condemnation upon oneself. And Jesus makes it clear, you must believe in me. It must be belief in the name of the only Son of God. This is the exclusive message of Christianity. 
And you can call us outdated, you can call us antiquated, you can call us bigots, you can call us backwards, you can call us narrow-minded, that's okay. We've been narrow-minded ever since Jesus was. When he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus begins at the end of this passage by saying that to not believe is to bring condemnation. But then as we move backwards into verse 17, we find that Jesus' first coming was not to bring condemnation. So so now there's a hope of of good news. Jesus says, "I, I wasn't sent into the world to condemn the world. Look there in verse 17. You're already on your toes and on the edge of your seat this morning because the pastor's already mentioned condemnation on the Easter Sunday service. But now Jesus says, hey, listen, I didn't come. I wasn't sent to bring condemnation into the world. In fact, I was sent so that the world might be saved through me. The first coming of Jesus was to bring salvation and spiritual life. But even in this verse, there is the hint, right? And the implication that there will be another coming, that there will be a second coming. And that the second coming of Jesus, he does come as judge. He no longer comes extending the offer of salvation When he returns, he returns as judge. And we keep moving backwards into the text. The most famous verse, verse 16, Jesus says, what is it that causes this mission from Jesus to come extending life-giving, eternal, securing grace in people's lives? What is it that causes this to happen? And Jesus tells Nicodemus, It is the lavish, abundant, whole grace and love of the Father. Jesus says, for God so loved the world. It is very very easy for us when we begin speaking about the exclusive message of Christianity. It's very easy for us to not focus on grace. To not focus on the glorious love of God. And this is the poster board of Christianity. This is the clarion call of Christian faith. For God so loved you that he sent his son. This this is the call of the Lord Jesus. This is the call of the first century church. This is the call of every pastor. This is the call of every missionary. This is the call of Billy Graham in that great North Carolina accent. Won't you come? He called people to believe in this loving God who had sent his son. And the call of this gracious God extends even today, right now, on this beautiful morning. As we keep moving backwards into the text, we find that there is another four Fours in the Bible are always ground statements. They're always foundational statements. Why is something being said for this reason? 
And in verses 14 and 15, we find that life can only be given when Jesus Christ has been lifted up. So, so to, to not believe is to bring condemnation upon oneself. The first coming of Jesus was to bring salvation and not judgment. Spiritual life is given from a God who loves. And now we find that life can only be given when Jesus Christ is lifted up. Look at verse 14 and verse 15. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, Remember the story of Moses in the wilderness from Numbers chapter 21 verse 9? You remember this when all of the people were there and Moses is commanded, you take a serpent, you raise it up, you have the people look upon it. And as it's lifted up, if they look upon it, there will be salvation for them. And now we've fast forwarded hundreds of years and Jesus looks into the face of a Jewish leader and says, just like Moses brought about salvation from God, when people in faith looked upon the staff that was raised so they will have spiritual life if they look upon me as I'm lifted up. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, and I, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And Nicodemus, just like us, must have been scratching his head at this point. What does it mean that you are going to be lifted up? Two more times in the Gospel of John, Jesus will use this language. And as we race toward the cross in the Gospel of John, we find it very clear what Jesus means. When I am nailed to the cross, when I am lifted up on Calvary's hill, if sinful people would look upon me in faith and believe, then there will be spiritual life given to them from this loving God. As we move backward into the text, verses 10 through 13, we find that the confusion of humanity is summed up in Nicodemus' question. The confusion of all of humanity is summed up in his one question. The confusion of the ages the confusion of the globe is summed up in Nicodemus' one question. How can these things be? It made no sense. How can these things be? Nicodemus said to Jesus. How is this possible? This is the question that undoubtedly is on some of your minds, some of your hearts this morning. You may have come here a believer, and yet there are still questions that plague your faith. How can these things be? How can we make sense of all of the evil and all of the confusion and all of the chaos in this world? How can these things be? And, and for some of you here this morning, you've come as a skeptic, it's another Easter service, not really sure why you're here, other than grandma or your friend or some annoying person from First Baptist keeps inviting you, and you're here this morning, but the questions still remain, did all of this really happen? Is all of this really true? Does, it, does any of this even matter? How can these things be? This is the question of humanity summed up in these few words 
from Nicodemus. And as we move backwards through the first eight verses of this text, we find even more clearly why Nicodemus was so confused. Of course, he's going to be confused by the verses that we've just read that followed his question. But as we move back into the first part of this chapter, we find why he is so confused. Because Jesus has told him that he must be born again. That Jesus has told him that this work of God that happens in people's lives and in people's hearts is an unexplainable mystery like the wind blowing. Now, I I try to use my sanctified imagination. I put myself there in that darkened, perhaps, little courtyard where they're uh, conversing. It's late into the night, and they're talking, and Nicodemus has come with his questions, and as Jesus begins to speak, perhaps they feel that rush of wind like that. And Jesus says, feel that? We don't know how that happens. We don't even know really where that's coming from. We don't even know where that's going. But what what we do know and what we see is, we see its impact. We see its effect. We see the leaves wrestle and we see pages turn and we see our hair get all out of whack. Jesus says, we don't know how it happens. We just know it happens because we see result. And he tells Nicodemus, I know you've got questions, buddy. But this work of God is not just a work where you decide to check a couple of boxes of intellectual belief. When you come this morning and you find there are questions in your heart and in your mind that you wrestle with, there is nothing that will answer them for you this morning. No persuasive words of wisdom No great invitation, no wonderful sermon or power of oratory can do it except for a work of God's Spirit in your life. And when that happens, it's unexplainable. I don't know what happened. I came not believing, I left believing. And you ask every Christian that's here this morning that believes in the Lord Jesus and is treasuring him alone for salvation, and it doesn't matter whether they were five or whether they were 50 or whether they were 95, they will explain to you that that's the truth of their life and of their conversion. I don't know what happened. I just know I realized I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and I called out upon the Lord, and he saved me, and my life was changed. It is like the wind blowing. Now, Nicodemus was a dummy. And so are we. Nicodemus was one of the leading religious figures of his day. Nicodemus knew everything. Nicodemus was a good person if there ever was a good person. And as Jesus begins speaking to him about this unexplainable mystery of God's work in someone's life, he looks to Nicodemus and says, 
Are you a teacher in Israel? And yet you do not understand. I think when we read between the lines of Jesus probing and penetrating statement to Nicodemus, we find the same probing and penetrating question that he would lay at our feet and at our heart this morning. Why do you still struggle with this? What still keeps you from believing? Why won't you believe in me? Why won't you come to me? Why won't you give me all the broken stuff in your life? And why won't you watch me make it right? What is it? That's keeping. Is it your failure or is it your success? Is it all that you don't have or all that you do have? Because both of those polarizing realities can keep you from Jesus. And Jesus looks to Nicodemus and says, how can you still not understand? I'm right in front of you. Just come to me. Just believe it. John chapter 3, this is the account of Jesus and Nicodemus. But as Paul Harvey would ask, what's the rest of the story? As Jesus comes in to the city Just a short time later, riding on a donkey and the crowd is waving their palm branches and they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as the week goes on and Jesus gathers in the upper room with his disciples and he looks to them and he tells them that they must believe in him. One of them would not believe in him, that one of them would betray him and Judas goes out. They go into the garden to pray and Jesus tells them, you watch And you pray, and he comes back over and over and over again, and they're sleeping, they're slumbering. They cannot do one simple thing that the master asks of them. Here comes Judas, and the band of people that have come to arrest Jesus, and Judas betrays him with a kiss, and with clubs and spears and torches they come, and they take Jesus away, and immediately the beating begins, the scourging begins. They pummel him until he is unrecognizable. They rip the flesh right off of his back. They drive him out of the city where they drive then spikes into his wrists and into his feet and they nail him to that Roman cross outside the city as everybody looks up and as Jesus is lifted up from then until now, he continues to draw people to himself. And for a time he stayed on the cross and they continued to mock him, save yourself, call down the legions of angels to come and to rescue you. And with every word of their mockery and with every word of their skepticism and their scorn, Jesus continued to ask for the Lord to forgive them. They know not what they do. He committed his spirit to the Father and he uttered those 
three triumphant words. It is finished. And they took him down off the cross. And they took his body away. They prepared it for burial. And they laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of John in the 20th chapter tells us that there was a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea who was there and he asked the men presiding over the crucifixion if he could take Jesus' body and if he could prepare it for burial. And John's Gospel says that Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, by the way, that's fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah who wrote 700 years earlier that Jesus would be laid in a borrowed tomb of a rich man. Joseph of Arimathea said, give me his body. And as they began to prepare it, as was custom, they would prepare the body and They would wrap the body in burial cloths and they would adorn the body with spices. Of course, we know that the women would come later to the tomb because they wanted to perform some kind of similar ritual for Jesus' body. The only problem was when they got there, there wasn't a body. But at this point, there's only Joseph of Arimathea. And the Bible tells us there was one other man there to help And his name was Nicodemus. The rest of the story, my friends, is that the questioning rabbi in the dark courtyard is there wrapping the excruciated, dead riddled, blood-stained body of Jesus Christ. And with Joseph of Arimathea, he lays the body in the grave. Just this past November, I went to Israel, and I went to the temple. You, You can see there stones that are 2,000 years old from when Herod built the temple and second temple Judaism was ushered back into Jerusalem. You can go to places like, like Magdala and you can go to places like Galilee and you can go to the Sea of Galilee and you can find a boat that they found that's been perfectly preserved and restored from the time of Jesus You can find artifact after artifact and historic site after historic site and every little shred of archaeology that has ever been found has only further confirmed and further proved and further validated the truths of the Christian faith. But there's nothing like going to the garden tomb. You know, there's not much to see there, though. 
I said there's not much to see there. You mean you're going to go and, and look where there's nothing? You, you take every religious leader, every worldview, every philosopher, every great mind, every intellectual, and, and you can go to their tomb and, and there's stuff there. there. There's a body there. But not there. He is not here. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Now the question comes today, what will be the rest of the story for you? If you look back in John chapter 3, the, the, the chapter begins with these words. Now there was a man. Well, that's not very interesting. Doesn't seem very exciting. But the truth of those words is that John chapter 3 connects us to the preceding verses that we never read in John chapter 2. It is not just a throwaway statement that John uses in John chapter 3. Hey, now there was this guy that comes to talk to Jesus. No, because at the end of John chapter 2 is the passage where John is recorded for us that Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. And then in John 3, tying these scriptures together, John says, now there was a man. Jesus knew everything about Nicodemus before he ever showed up. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows your story. He knows your life. He knows the good. He knows the bad. He knows the ugly. He knows every single thing about you before you arrive on the square this morning. And he knows the rest of your story. He knows what is in the heart of man. He knows full well if you have come this morning to glory and to celebrate and to worship this risen king. He also knows if you've come in unbelief. He knows if you've come in doubt. He knows if you've come with questions. And just like Nicodemus in the courtyard, he is still right here Asking, won't you come? Won't you come? Won't you believe today? Won't you let your life be changed today? Won't you let the questions be answered today? Won't you let the brokenness begin to heal today? What is keeping you from belief in this risen king? What's keeping you? 